something? You think I came here for the beer? Hey, this is the East National Yacht Club podcast. My name is Kellen Cole. I'm sitting here with my main man, the Mayor Madison, Richard Lips. How are you doing this lovely evening? Doing well, man. How about you? Oh, just sitting on a rainbow. There it is. There it is. Hey, after two takes. Yep. After two takes. Man, we uh we got amateurs. A, we got a special guest in the house tonight. We do. We do, man. Uh let's welcome to the shop. Uh the one and only Mr. Sean Nelson. Hello. You're actually Sean Nelson. I am. Yeah. The That's official right. Sean Nelson. That's what it says. The one I'm not the one and only. There's at least ten on different social media out, <laughs> outfits. There's a really good actor named Sean Nelson. Not me. But uh I'm the one who's here. You have a great Twitter handle. Oh, Sean Traversy? <laughs> yeah. I thought, I all the good ones were taken by the time I joined. Yeah, so I looked you up originally. I was like, all right, maybe he's actual Sean Nelson on Twitter. And then uh, everything was blank. So it's like, okay, so that's not him. And then um, so then I, I just looked, typed in your name, and Sean Traversy came up. I was like, that is fantastic. What a great idea. I'm a Prince fan. So you know, that's what I was hoping it was. Yeah, <laughs> always. Well, thank you for joining us. We Thanks appreciate for having it. me. So we've been talking for I don't know how long before this ever started. Ooh, what was a that, while, about forty-five minutes. Yeah, that's but okay. it's been good conversation though. It's it has been, been good, good conversation. conversation. How are you enjoying your time in Nashville? I like it. Well, you've I mean, been here a long time. Well, yeah, we, my family moved here in nineteen eighty-eight, and I've mostly lived in Seattle um, since then. I went to college in New York for a little while, but I lived in Seattle for like twenty-five years. But I've been back here since twenty eighteen. I guess we should preface that too. Sean Nelson has uh, <laughs> sang for Harvey Danger, solo records. To be known just for Sean. We could just I know him even, as I just Sean. I don't want to be known at all. It's not all possible. But that's, <laughs> if it's going to happen. Uh, you, you know, and the older I get, the more willing I am to, to say this to a man. You still have great hair. Thank you. Thank you. I see that you're a fellow curly hair. It sucks. It's not easy. It, I hate it's, it. It's not um, easy. It's not easy. But I used good. to always get stuff about putting hair product in. I don't have a choice. Exactly. You got to give the curls something to work against. Yes. Uh, so it is a lot. But but you're not thinning or anything. No, I, I've been blessed in that one department <laughs> physically. That's the only thing I have going for me. Oh, my forehead's getting big. Yeah. Yeah, Dude. yeah you said yeah. The fuck I mean, you. yeah, I'm saying yeah, like, this is I know what you I mean. noticed too. I, I noticed. Yeah, I can see it. I wasn't thinking about it. And uh, we we always talk about this when, when we have guests on the show and they and we walk and they walk in like you did today and yeah. just realizing God damn this motherfucker's tall. I say it to everybody. <laughs> I say it to everyone. He is tall though. He is tall. I am I about reasonably say. tall, but <laughs> not so tall that it's like a bit not, of a, like a problem in the world. Like if you're over six seven, it's basically it's not a handicap exactly, but yeah. the world is not made for extra no, tall people. No. How many lead singers are your high? It can't be that many. Uh, I don't know. That's a really excellent question. I'll get back to you when I come back next okay. week. Montel Jordan was six seven. What's he or really? six six? But didn't he do like NBA or something? Like he I had some know. type of basketball career. Uh, Master P. Master did. P. Did. Yeah, Master P. Played. I I've met Montel Jordan. He is very tall. Yeah. No shit. Yeah, we uh, were because. It wasn't the same label, but it was maybe the same distribution company, and we, we, there was some showcase or whatever. Please tell me you have a picture with Montel I doubt. Jordan. This was before there were pictures of everything. That's it was before shows. So partly, I regret it because I had like all of the exciting things that ever happened to me happened before everybody had a camera on them. But at the same time, I every time I see thing. a picture of myself, I'm just like, God damn it! What were you doing? 
How much of a whirlwind was that when that was really starting to take off? Harvey Danger? Yeah. It was only a whirlwind. Like, it, we went from nothing, or not nothing, you know, like, we were known in Seattle and around them, but we never... You were still your friend's favorite band. I will. <laughs> we'll see. Did you go from traveling in a uh, Astro van to a uh, big bus? We were, like, we went, our first tour was once the song was already hit. Like, we never, we had played out of town a few times, uh-huh, just but, like around the Northwest. Yeah. But we never did any touring because we felt like, well, no one's going to want, who wants to come and see you if they never heard of you and yeah. you don't have any records? But, um, but yeah, we, we toured in a bus for a few months, like maybe four or five months, and then we moved to a bus for the yeah. rest of it. But our first tour was like nine months long. And that's a long That's a tour. lot of touring. There was like, you know, a few days break here and there, mm-hmm. maybe a week off at most but yeah like and we toured in a van for a long time after we had been encouraged to be in a bus but we were like no that that just looks wrong like we thought it was sort of we just thought it was not right for yeah. a band to be in a van and i mean like or we, we thought it was right for a band to be in a van there was like a, it was a anti-ego gesture and then the minute we stepped onto a bus for the first time, we were like, fuck a van. I'll never, <laughs> never again. It's just so much better. <laughs> just way better. <laughs> One of my uh, uh, nerd things, I really love wrestling. And Randy Orton, the wrestler, he talks about how for self care, he got a van. and uh, Not a van, a bus. Yeah. And like so many wrestlers talk about getting a bus has changed their lives from everything else that they were doing. It's huge. How how else were they traveling? They would all ride together in cars, like Suburbans and stuff like that. Uh, So you rent one and go from city to city. You know, you hear about, you think about like the Beatles. Every tour they ever did, their only car was, they had a station wagon. Mm -hmm. They all all were in it. Yeah, it must have been. They toured everywhere in a station wagon. Yeah, or maybe they graduated to having two cars at one point, but they ne- there was never a bus, and there was never like they never had the the things that you think of now as sort of like obvious yeah. first principles of touring. Mm-hmm. They never, you know, because they were really inventing that whole process. You would think though that somebody would have at some point when they were blowing up as big as they are, been like, "Hey guys." Um, you can take something I'm else. I'm about to sneeze. No, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> you're totally fine. That's Cut it not out. Deal at all. No, let's, let's start again. Messed, I've, I've never stopped to sneeze like that. I was. Cl- uh, it's the worst when you you're almost there. <laughs> That's not going to happen. It'll happen later. It'll happen when we're talking about something important. Well, okay. so maybe not tonight. But not tonight. Not There's tonight. nothing important going on. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is it. Just normal Sunday night in December. That's right. So what random people have you met where you were like, this is surreal? You had to meet a bunch of the nice. Please tell me you met Fred Durst. Uh, I never did meet Fred Durst. Oh! I don't think so. I, I just remember when our, when our big hit song was blowing up, there was news because the label that put out uh, Limp Bizkit uh, was, they got in trouble because they were buying three minute long ad blocks on the yep. radio that was a huge scandal yeah because no one would play their music and so they just bought the airtime which yeah. was like a nice clever way around what used to be called payola i don't know if it still is called that but like i thought that was kind of like i guess that counts as success <laughs> but you know when they came like right after our song had been a hit like they got so huge they were massive and i was like well, 
clearly there is nothing for me in all of this anymore. So you did not try to start rapping? No, I never did. <laughs> I never, I, I thought better of it. You have to have a theater background with that singing voice. Uh, I do actually, funny enough. I mean, I, but the, you know, I, I just like in, I went to um, NYU for theater and film and I always did, I always acted in plays and I still, I mean, I haven't for a few years, but I, I've always done that. But um, when I start, the first time the band ever did any recording in the studio, I listened back to my singing and I was like, yeah, this is a bomb this is so bad and it was because it had too much kind of theater Bravado. or too much like something so there was some it wasn't really like I wasn't really trained but I could just hear it, it just didn't sound rock and I dedicated myself to losing as much of that stuff as I could um, there's still obviously as you say a trace of it in there but I just wanted to get like at least a good scream and I think I got a pretty good scream I, yeah, that was uh, even listening to the music. It was hard for me to think. I wonder who's inspired by. You don't have a voice like any other singer I could really think of. I, I mean, I don't. Which I, mean, I, I say that as a positive. No, I think it's. I mean, that's something. I mean, that's something that you would hope for. I mean, like yeah. some, you know, you hear some bands and they just sound like other bands, and that's not ideal. But I mean, all the people I, I like. For me, the really big ones, aside from like really obvious, you know, Beatles and yeah. stuff like that. But like for me, the ones when I was starting, the ones I loved the most were, um, you know, REM and the Smiths and mm. sort of that whole universe. And I had a feeling to me, Elvis Costello. Elvis Costello, huge, hugely important. And then a bunch of people who, you know, to me, that uh, the. Uh, David Berman line, all my favorite singers couldn't sing. Like that's sort of where <laughs> I am coming from. Although, like I do, I, I do like a sort of proper kind of great singer. Mm -hmm. I also have most of the stuff that I really am the most deeply inspired by is like, I don't know, Leonard Cohen, and Elliot Smith, people who are sort of famous for not having a very he did like not confident have a very voice. Good voice, but I love Elliot Smith. Yeah, he was great. But he, I always think that those guys have some. Uh, I mean, I was I saw him a million times in the Northwest. I was, I mean, he was on your label. Well, we were on his label once. <laughs> it was more like that. But he was like he changed everything. But um, I mean, I, I remember seeing him play where there was like thirteen people in the audience, and yeah. he had just started doing solo stuff. And and uh, you know, I think a lot of times what makes a singer really good or interesting is that they have some natural like impediment or something that they can't quite do, whether it's keeping in tune perfectly or projecting a lot. I think yeah. his thing was projecting, but he was really a good loud rock singer in the band Heat Miser. Um, but he didn't do that for his solo stuff. It was really intimate and quiet and it was the most incredible he's, stuff. He's another one I got into after the fact, mm. like, you know, I remember the, the Goodwill hunting soundtrack being good and I'm, being told I was supposed to like them and things like that. And I just never really listened to them a whole lot and then listened to them afterwards. And um, I wouldn't say it's party music, but it's <laughs> definitely it's not. De it depends on what kind of party. Though. <laughs> yeah, it could, it could be self self pity party. <laughs> it could maybe. be, but by yourself, like on a cold day music, like yeah. I really do enjoy his stuff quite a bit. It's some of the best music that was ever made. I think like it's as good as anything. And there's nothing been. special. Like it's not like a lot of deep orchestration. Nothing. Later on, though, I mean, like on the when he went to 
DreamWorks and he did the XO album. Like there's yeah, beautiful arrangements yeah. on it. Amazing. Um, and he did a lot of it and John Bryan did some of it, I think. But he had a lot of, just a lot of talent. But I love New Moon. Oh my God. So good. Yeah. I mean, he's just like, when his album Either Or came out, that was the, like I had heard uh, Roman Candle and I'd heard the self-titled one and really loved them. But they're like the, to me, Either Or is like, pinnacle of a certain period like and I was also the age I was I yeah. think it came out in 97 I think that's right years are all starting to blend yeah, together sure. for me now but like that just seemed like well like you can really just stop if you want because somebody has made the best record you know uh and it really I still listen to it pretty regularly so I'm assuming you got into music truly as a music fan yeah yeah I mean I Harvey Danger was the first band I was ever in, and I had a boy. And uh, you know, I just, like I had been interested in movies and and um, writing. Those were sort of the things that I was the most sort of drawn to in theater too. But like, music was always kind of mysterious to me. Like, it seemed like people who were a little older than me. It seemed like everybody already knew everything. That yeah. was kind of the thing. And and in the pre internet time when you not only had to ask people and go seek things out um you also had to know who to ask and you had to know how to ask like it was all very mysterious which which i actually i mean i miss it now not to sound like the oldest person in the world but <laughs> i know a lot of people are saying that these days but it, like i do miss it i i mean i think it's way better to just be able to dial up anything you think of and listen to it there's a phone, weird but. thing i miss is the um that that bet you have to make okay i like this one song right am i willing to spend 12 15 dollars yeah to get this whole thing well, yeah. and then it became am i willing to spend 20 dollars right. and that, i think that was a big moment and that was right in the late 90s. Yeah. Right before, because I remember when we were touring, our big year was 1998, which is 25 years ago. Um, everywhere we went, people were talking about Napster. And I didn't mm. really even know. I knew that it existed, but... Napster I, at that time was fascinating. I yeah. didn't know how to the do wild, it. Wild, wild west. Yeah, mm. I, didn't, I didn't understand the whole, like, you download this thing and then you... BitTorrent was a mystery to me. and. Yeah. It just all seemed very mysterious, but I also thought, well, it sounds kind of, I mean, it's sort of like all the musicians who were objecting to it, it was like authors objecting to their books being in a library, you know, like you want people to hear your stuff and yeah. if the radio's not mm -hmm. playing it, the kids have to have some way of hearing it, not that, just kids. That's a good way to describe that. Exactly. I always thought mm -hmm. of it that way. Um, but then... Um, but that, but, but to, to be fair, I think they were actually like Metallica took it on the chin yeah. going after Napster, but they were probably right. I mean, it was it was it's interesting that they were so unafraid to just be like, you're stealing from us. Yeah. And, you know, the truth is you were stealing from them. You, you know, were. like literally yeah, you actually were. It's like the whole argument that things want to be free or whatever. And mm -hmm. like, I guess I go back and forth on it at times because I mean, you, the one thing you can't argue with is that the technology exists. And so yeah, once yeah. it exists, you can't have it unexist. But like, um, I just remember being struck because our first album the first time it, it came out on a really tiny label, really small pressing, and it was in a record store on CD with the 
a cardboard cover that we folded ourselves and it was silk screened by hand by the artist and like it just felt so exciting and legitimate and we went yeah. in the record store I went in the record store that I had worked in a couple years before and I saw it on the rack and I felt ah oh, so legit you created and, something yeah but it was like it was 12.99 14.99 maybe but I think it was like 12.99 and I was like this is good this is a successful thing and then after like a year went by and it had become more successful and we signed to a major label and they redistributed the same record on uh, in a jewel box in sort of the normal way and I went into Tower Records and it was 18.99 for the same thing yeah and I thought well I understand I like I just understood the world a little bit better right in that moment and like if I was 13 you didn't. You don't have access to money in the same right. way, you know. And so, like the difference of yeah. seven dollars or six dollars, whatever, mm-hmm. is really significant. And so, I got why yeah. Napster happened. And especially like people like us who love music yeah. and wanted to, you know, just hear and you know feel every single thing that you could. Yeah. Like you couldn't go out and spend a thousand dollars on CDs. No, absolutely. And, and I, truthfully, I spent probably more than I should have. I would buy two to three. At a time, yeah, and um, but the thing is, also with that, I really enjoyed that. I would listen to the entire thing. Mm-hmm. I'm right. terrible about listening to an entire album now, but music's not designed to listen to an entire album now either. Probably not anymore. But I mean, I I still I only re- I relate to the album as the unit. You know, like obviously yeah. I love singles too, and that's really good. But to me. I, I like listen, albums. You listen to the record, mm-hmm. the whole record, and that's I still do that. I listen to probably less music than ever, but like in the last in the last year, I listened like that. Blur put out a new record. Yeah. They've always been one of my favorite bands. They put out this record, The Ballad of Darren, and I listened to that record. But it's just like I would start at the beginning, get to the end, start it again. I listened to the whole thing like several times. It was like three or four times a day for a few weeks and it really was like it really got into me yeah. and I, I couldn't tell you what all the songs are called necessarily right. now but like I know that record now by heart and that used to be the main thing of my life mm-hmm. you know listening to records like that and oh, I know that was I'm, a thing to me like so you know I have my kids in a car and stuff and Outcast will come on and I can rap all of Entree 3000 I'll, I'll go word for word on everything but I'm like they had lyric sheets and you know, I'll tell yeah. my son, I'm like, I could literally read and try, like I would try to figure this out. Yeah. And, uh, and I also, that's a thing that I really miss about the physical side of, of music is like, I would follow bands cause like, Oh, I like that producer or they're on that label. Right. I like, or, Oh, this guy played on this album. So I really want to get this one and stuff like that. And that you, I, I enjoyed reading liner notes. I enjoyed reading the thank yous, all that type of stuff. Oh yeah. I wish that was back. I really wish that feeling of like, you know, just really enjoying something and, and getting into it. That's what I, I, you know, it'd be the same as somebody who gets into baseball stats. Right. It's, it's very similar. what I really enjoyed. I enjoyed that part of, of the music experience. And I hate that that's gone. Well, I think also the, at that, at the, in that period, I mean, it's all really before, like you could say before and after Napster, you can say before and after Spotify, but really it's before and after phones, like smartphones. 100%. Because now, like now the idea of, having to figure out what to do with your time 
is just not a question. You just instinctively reach for your phone if you have a minute or if anything else is going on. And so I think a lot of, I mean, I think this is true of records. I think it's for sure true of TV shows and films. They're all made sort of with the understanding to some extent. I don't know if it's necessarily conscious, but they're all made to a certain extent with the idea that you're going to be doing other stuff too while you're doing it, which is why I think audiobooks have become a much bigger deal than books, you know? Yeah. Which is whatever. I mean, that's a whole other discussion. But, like, (laughs) you can't read while you're driving. No. I've tried. (laughs) I'm Mm. here to tell you it's a bad idea. It's a terrible (laughs) idea. But, like, you know, you can read, you can listen to an audiobook while you're driving. But, you know, like, everything that music that rewards and kind of requires a bit of concentration, I think, like, looking at the Better on a couple listens. Yeah, but I I think that when you're really immersed in it and you're reading the liner notes and you're reading the lyrics and seeing who played bass on that song or whatever, that's all sort of, I don't know, it's a really rich and beautiful experience that I don't know if people have anymore. I mean, I guess you can generalize, I guess, but I mean, certain people obviously still have it. And, you know, the Mm -hmm. vinyl resurgence Mm -hmm. is a good part of that. Mm -hmm. You know, there's still liner notes going on there. who are like that? They they will find a way. Yeah, they will find a way. They will do their research. They will find a way. But so, I mean, they're you know just the average Joe. I mean, they're just they're, they're push not and play anymore. Yeah. yeah, push and play. So I thought on the flip side of that though, like, so I was starting thinking about with with Harvey Danger having such a huge hit with Flagpole Sitta. The streaming services have actually been a positive for you because who now if we didn't have streaming would be like okay I'm going to go buy where have all the Merry Makers going? Yeah. You know, so like it actually, I would think on this, just having such easy access has probably helped you guys more than it would hinder. I think that if you have any name recognition or any, like, if you had any kind of success in the before times, streaming services are a help for you. Yeah. But they, I mean, it depends, I guess, on what you're looking for because obviously, I mean, I, there, this has been covered everywhere for a long time but like right. you were just talking about the thing of Snoop having all of those like plays. a billion mm-hmm. plays or whatever and he got $45,000 I mean part of me always thinks like if you are in music to make money you are a fool to begin with because it's the worst possible bet to try and make money but at the same time obviously there's money somebody's making money yeah. better it should be the person who made the stuff than some like guy who is like a middle manager at Spotify or whatever. But um, it's it's all just a question of whether you're more interested in people hearing what you did or people paying you to hear what you did. And I've always been of the mind that it's just, I just want people to hear it. Yeah. yeah. And I've made some money. I've made pretty good money. Like at least part of my living for the last 25 years has been from doing music in one yeah. form or another. And that's, like I know that that puts me uh, in like a you know top whatever one percent of most people who oh, ever got, make music. You got to be in the top three percent of songwriters. Period. That you wrote a hit, which is crazy because it's the only thing I ever did that most people will ever know about. Yeah, which is like I've come. I'm at peace with it. That didn't stop me from doing other things, obviously. But it's you know, again, it's just like where are you coming from in that one moment? So how frustrating would that, like, did that get? Because you have come out with other albums, and there's nothing wrong with them. They're great albums. They're very They're good fine. albums. So, like, that would be frustrating to me. Of Like, I've made a song just as, like, what's the difference? 
the difference is what you... Do you know what I mean by that? I do know exactly what you mean, because it's, like, the central uh, <laughs> preoccupation of my life in some ways. But, like, it's... The thing is, what do you expect? What are you expecting? What are you looking for? And what, like, the world... The world has changed in a million different ways for everybody in lots of different areas and everything, but the way music has changed in my view is that it's now just perfectly acceptable and kind of required for musicians to like be in constant self-promotion mode yes yeah and that is like i've come to i'm at peace with it for other people (laughs) like i don't judge people for being that way so much anymore i used to be pretty judgmental because I know, also know that we got incredibly lucky with that stuff and had people working with us and, yeah. you know, like helping us. But like, I don't want to do that ever. Yeah. I never want to say, hey, come and buy, like, please buy this thing of mine. That's why I'll never sell houses. It's just a, like, <laughs> some people are fine with it. I just, yeah. I struggle with, you know. But then I, back in the day, they had, they had teams to do that for you. Teams. Absolutely. A&R. Tons of people. Yes. And we lucked out because our song was already like a hit on commercial radio before there was anyone trying Mm -hmm. to make it when it just got, we just, it was being requested by people and we lucked out and we had some like help from a couple of key people, but it wasn't like there was no team at first and then there were teams and that, and you know, they did their best and they work hard and it's fine. Everything's fine. That's my message. Um, But like, I just, it, it has nothing to do with the impulse of making the thing to me. Yeah. And that's, as I've gotten older and older, I found that just like, I'm inspired by people who just keep doing things more than I am ever by people who tell me to smash a like button. Right. You know? So is A&R even a thing anymore? Alcohol in restaurants? <laughs> <laughs> Asinine and ridiculous? Um, yeah, I think so. I don't know. I have no idea what... Because it seems like if you now sign to a major label, unless you're in a very rarefied company, or rare, you're in rarefied company, um, mostly I, th- I think what major labels do is try and sort of promote the brand of mm-hmm. the artist yep. more than the records. That's what I was about to say. There, there are teams who strategize... Hey, you need to do A, B, and C, and you need to put yourself out there, make yourself, uh, I guess, more relatable. That makes sense about saying the brand. Yeah, that's I what could I'm see that. Yeah. How would you feel about if we leaked a sex tape of you? Because then we could get you on to some talk shows or whatever. And it's not like because there's no kind of fundamental. There used to be a fundamental unit to sell, which was the CD, and before that, mm-hmm. the album and then maybe you know vinyl there's actually something physical right there was a commodity to be sold now the artist is the commodity and I think people who are promoting themselves as artists feel very comfortable being that and that's probably a much more that's like a better adjusted way to think of it than like no no I'm but an artist how could you possibly think of me as a commodity (laughs) yeah Um, and then there are lots of things in between and people who are sort of some people are some people do it with humor. Some people do it with just this like brazen greed, and there's a million ways in between. But okay. I'm gonna take a pause real quick to use the restroom. We'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> that beer is, real- and we're back. <laughs> I love that we always say that we're taking a break, and it's um, it's they, like they would like never it know just, if we nobody would know. How have you guys pause. been? 
How have we been? Yeah, you've been doing okay. That's a great since, question. Since the last time we talked. We've never been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's talk. I don't want to yeah. talk about myself anymore. Come on. You, we don't have to. You want to ask about us? Ask yeah. about us. Uh, you know, uh, what, are your, what are your influences? In, on what? In any, in any department. Uh, my, my biggest influence in life, Kanye West. Uh, no, Tiger uh, Woods. Tiger Woods. Yeah, all the greats. Yeah, Michael Jordan. I don't know who I would say I found a lot of inspiration or influence from more than anybody else. I find the older I get, Billy Corgan more interesting as like he was an asshole, but he backed it up. Like that guy was, I was listening to an interview of him. He was in Tower Records in 90 the other day and, uh, and he's just this fresh face baby, and he's given off this interview and very arrogant. But there's a guy who did not have a problem with self promotion. Not <laughs> at all, not at all. But he he was on a run on like those three albums, songwriting where he was just a fucking machine. That guy, and I think a lot of bands do that. They'll just get on some run where they're just writing just nothing but hits, just yes. churning out boom, just hits. Well, there's something about being that age because he was probably you know early twenties, yeah, and having some success, and then you know wanting to see if you can really keep going Ratchet and get it, it up, even bigger. Yeah. And but I never related to their whole. Thing of wanting to be, I just, I never. He would be the biggest band in the world. Yeah, I've never understood that particular chip on people's shoulders about yeah. wanting to be like number one. It, it's the one, like, I'm a total, I'm an absolute Anglophile, like crazy, but they have the weirdest thing about needing to be the like top of the charts mm -hmm. or it doesn't even yeah. count. Uh, Oasis was another one like that. Yeah. And I remember, so, uh, you know, really like show my age if anybody's listening. Um, I remember waiting in line at uh, Tower. It wasn't Tower. It was like Turtles or something with my buddy before they opened when you had to actually go to the record store or Kroger to get tickets from Ticketmaster. Yeah. And uh, we waited hours before they opened to get Smashing Pumpkins tickets. They were playing with Garbage at uh, Bridgestone. It was when Melancholy had just come out. Mm -hmm. And um, so anyway, we got third row and go to that concert and um, – Billy Corgan and James E. Hall just keep going back and forth about Oasis and talking bad about Oasis yeah. the whole show. I don't doubt it. You should have done that. You should have started a feud. I with tried. I tried really <laughs> hard. <laughs> Nobody was listening. No beef. Nobody wanted to have beef. Too nice. So what bands did you play? Because I saw so that the way we got in contact was you comment on a post about Hum and said that you you played with them. Yeah, I remember so that. Did you guys open for them or they open for you? We opened for them. It was that was I remember it really vividly because it was a particularly important night for our band. It was Valentine's Day of 1998. Okay, we played two shows that night in Seattle at two different clubs, and it was right at the peak of like labels being interested in us. Yeah, and um. Some, I mean, there were a, ton, well, a bunch of people had flown in to see that show. Yeah, and um, we were first on the bill of four bands, I think, with Hum, and then we went across town and headlined at a different club. But um, I just really, we all you played four shows that night. Two shows, but okay. we were first of four bands on the Hum. Gotcha. Bill, or maybe second. I don't remember exactly, but um, we just loved that. Uh, we just loved that. Like we thought they were really, they made so much noise. They were really loud and dense. And like, they yes. had that, like a lot of bands were reaching for that. Um, my bloody Valentine 
thing and they didn't they didn't sound like they were trying to rip them off but they had that same kind of really dense heavy but still really melodic thing and so it just you know we just wanted to be on that show they were another band i don't think they were trying to get successful at all i even like doesn't seem like it not whatsoever it wasn't even like they like promoted anything like nothing but which which is always kind of an odd thing to me to think. So why would you get into this business and do this if you never wanted it to ever get to a certain level? Well, I think, I mean, back then it was just a totally different thing because, yeah. I mean, really, all I mean, a lot of those roads just lead right to Nirvana. And the thing about, <laughs> the thing about Nirvana that was amazing was that they were just like, yeah, I don't care, whatever. Yeah. And that was so great to hear somebody say that. I don't think it was entirely genuine. He was 100% image conscious. He knew yeah. what he was doing. Yeah, but also he was, I mean, he was the rarest thing because he was actually the like really great. He was great yes. beyond what, you know, like a lot of people are very talented and it doesn't take that much to be pretty good at rock and roll, but he had something extra and also he was Kurt beautiful. had a charisma and style about him on top. He was like, he was a rock star. Yeah. And he hated rock stars. Yes. And so that's a great tension. But so the whole thing, I mean, this is like this shadow was cast all across the 90s where like to seem like you were trying to do it, the only way it would matter, the only way it counted, or the way it counted best is if they came to you and you were like, whatever, sure, I'll Sure, I'll headline your massive, I'll headline Reading Festival. Sure, I guess. I guess. We don't really think about things like that, but whatever. (laughs) And like, yeah, it's a little disingenuous, but it is also sort of like, it's a little better than, you know, because I grew up, you know, I'm a little older than you guys, but um, I grew up in LA, Mm -hmm. um, my first, whatever, 14 years. And the bands that were the biggest bands at that time when I was a teenager were like the hair metal bands of the mid 80s. And I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, uh, Decline of Western Civilization Part Two, The Metal Years. Um, but that was the whole, like, that was sort of a real low point in world culture to me. Like, the way those bands were just so nakedly greedy and ambitious, and they most of them weren't worth a damn, but they were... You're telling so, me C.C. DeVille was not... <laughs> well, I mean, there are exceptions, obviously. <laughs> Hit it, CC. Yeah. God's sake. You don't just say that to anybody. No, no. But I mean, like, you can say that about CC DeVille, but would you say it about Tie Me Down from LA? No, certainly not. <laughs> or whatever band he was in. But, like, those bands are just so brazenly about only wanting to be famous. And yeah. And as a result, well, I don't know if it's as a result. I think they wanted to get pussy more than Yeah, but their music wasn't about, it wasn't about anything. And it wasn't. I'm using their words. That's their words. That's exactly right. Um, Did I blush or something? No, no, no. That's their words. Um, But yeah, no, that's true. And that movie is really, that movie is really great. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's really a very revealing documentary about all those guys. And, but, you know, then you see the guy from Wasp, like, slowly or not so slowly killing himself chugging an entire fifth of vodka while floating in the pool with while his mom's watching and it was a competition between those guys to see like who could be the most animal yeah (laughs) like and but most of all they all like to me this is a bit of a blanket statement they all fucking sucked like they were all terrible they were not very good bands 
But I, I gotta believe it was probably pretty fun to be in one. I imagine so. <laughs> yes. I bet they had a good time. I'm sure they had more fun than uh, Harvey Danger did. <laughs> I can assure you of that. We, we made a point of not having any fun at all. <laughs> no, no groupies hanging out after the shows. Uh, well, I mean, have, have we met? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, so not too much sex, some drugs, and then a little rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah, y'all weren't trashing hotel rooms or nothing? No. I mean, I trashed a hotel room once or twice, but I cleaned up afterwards. Probably made his own, made his own bed. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Hospital corners. Hey, leave it how I, how I came in. Exactly. It. it was the campsite rule. We always tried to abide by it. A little nicer than when you got there. What was the biggest show you played where you were like, this is nuts? Uh, we played a radio. We played a ton of radio festivals, and it was at RFK Stadium. That's uh, a big one. It was like, yep. Somewhere like sixty, seventy thousand people. Something that would like that. be unreal. It was actually unreal, and it also it was like every band on the bill had one hit song, and then there were a couple of headliners. Like Poo Fighters, I think were headliners that day, um, and so they would, you know, or like every once in a while there would be a band that had like a body of work that people liked. But most of the time, you would get they were short sets, and you would play, and people would be like twiddling their thumbs and then you'd play the hit and everybody would go insane. Yeah. I was just about to ask, how, how does that make you feel as a band, as an artist, to where you could play four I wrote or five songs? all these songs, great songs. And four or five songs, you don't get any kind of, <laughs> you know, gestures or nothing, but then you hit the, play the hit song. Well, it's, I mean, when you're in an environment like that where everybody is just, like, it's people only have, they're young, it's a pretty young crowd. Yeah. So mostly they will only have heard hit songs in their life. You know, maybe they've listened to some records, but their experience of music is just whatever comes out of the radio. So it makes, it made sense, because um, it wasn't really like our environment. It wasn't the kind of shows we went to, generally speaking. But you know, any band has to win crowds over, you know, yeah. whether or not they have the advantage or relative disadvantage of having one song stick out. You have to be, you still have to know how to put on a show. And when we started, we absolutely didn't. And then we got, you know, that's a real way of learning what you don't know how to do. So yeah. it was okay. I mean, it's not like, it's not like they would turn their backs on us until we played the hit. They right. would be, you know, they'd play along, mm -hmm. but they just, it, the difference when any of those bands yeah. would play their big song, it was yeah. insane. And it, and it was kind of, I mean, it was exciting. I never even thought about that. I guess like touring is a, a lot like, you got to take reps to get better. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Did you have your, uh, I guess, hardcore fans, like some that you would recognize in the audience that would sing almost every song word for word? Yeah. that I mean, that happened quite a bit. But what was really gratifying was years later, because we, we kind of broke up for a couple of years and then got back together after the dust had settled and it was really just like only people who actually were interested yeah. were interested at that point, which was great. Um, much smaller crowds, but still much better. So we were still, but it was still enough to I would think that would be club. gratifying. It was so gratifying. And I remember really vividly um, this one show we played at Shuba's in Chicago. I think it was, we actually did two shows, but I was, I had kind of sung myself out and I had a little, I was like laryngitis and I could barely make any sound. And I got up on stage and kind of was like I don't know if I can sing you guys but I'm really going to try so like bear with me and they were like yeah and then they we started playing a song from the first record and 
the entire crowd sang every word yeah. and this was just like an album song <laughs> you know it was not a song that any would ever have been played on the radio station ever and they knew every word they knew every pause like they really knew it and they sang for me and to me and it was like it was i completely started sobbing <laughs> like it was really it was powerful but it was you know that's yeah. like what it's the best kind of performance because the audience actually yeah. does finish the yeah, performance. Yeah, it is. That, that was that's the best vibe of you know any any concert and where we're all in it together. Yeah, but you're not gonna find that at the Bridgestone or you know Nissan Stadium. You're gonna find that at the. I you saw know, that Jelly Roll. <laughs> Everybody in there knew every song. I will. Uh, I will say when he pulled out the singer from Shinedown and did his cover of uh, "Simple Man." Oh my God, they were Everybody singing. Knows Everybody knows "Simple Man." Yeah. But they People were like singing sing. their asses off to "Simple Man." Well, I just went and saw my friends uh, Death Cab for Cutie do their 20th anniversary of the. Uh, transatlanticism and yeah. then the postal service. That are they coming of, here too? They are. They just announced for 2024. Yeah, which is good. And I like. I'm really good friends with them. I've known them. Their first tour was Could opening. Could you for ever see that in arenas? I've seen it in arenas. Now. But I mean, like, how weird is that? It's crazy. They're. I mean, I have known them the whole time they've been a band practically, and watching them grow into what they've grown into has yeah. been incredibly gratifying because I love them. I mean, I love them as people, but I really love their music. I think it's really powerful and good and whatever, like all the things that yeah, are, yeah. The, everything you like about a, a rock band. and roll band or whatever, they, they do have that for me. Um, even though they're a bit younger and not all, like their sound isn't exactly what I normally go for, but I just, I'm really into it. But I saw them play those shows, I played that show at an arena and I mean, that was an example where everybody in the crowd sang every word to mm -hmm. every song, and it was amazing. This I mean, it really is. was. So, so how cool was that to see, like, bands now that you just said about uh, a bit younger, and they're like, man, you really inspired me. I love that. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't, it's not like it, they're beating down my door or anything. Right, but right, be, right. Though, That's an example where, like, we've been tight friends the whole time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, every, like, meeting, I was saying it before, but, like, meeting people who were young when we came out who have obviously grown up and and not where there's no sense of like because then you know the 90s were really tainted by the whole like sellout stigma and now that it's basically impossible to sell out <laughs> you could try i guess but no one's like there's nothing to sell there's nothing to buy um there's that whole idea is sort of like ancient Lore. Or Tool had a whole song about it called "Hooker with a Penis." Right. It was just about selling out. It was one of the big, like, it was a big. That's the 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 uh, pull hall. That's the ghost of yes. sellout past. That's the ghost of <laughs> shit. Oh, I gotta go. <laughs> but, I know. remember poser was such a word you never wanted to be called. Oh yeah. Know? And I mean, Seattle was particularly rife with it, and that's where we were from. And that goes—that's the bad part of the Nirvana shadow, like the yeah. idea that you're just trying to be famous or successful. Meanwhile, of course, fucking everybody's trying to be famous and successful all the right. time. So it's a little mm -hmm. crazy. And you know, um, there are degrees, but now it just seems like irrelevant. If it's like, or, or not irrelevant, but it's like a fringe thing. And now. If a band has a song in a commercial, everybody is like, oh, hey, good for you. Cool. Way yeah. to go. And I remember when that changed, it was like 
you had to really adjust. That used to be, you talk about selling out, that used to be a thing that like where, you know, actors and musicians thought that was beneath them would yeah. never mm-hmm. do that shit. No. And that just has everything to do with, that's really supply and demand. Like if you don't have, if there aren't opportunities to do it and there's not as many ways to make money or there's not as many ways to make as much money, show business has always been like, you either get nothing or you get way over rewarded. Mm-hmm. And it's just the over rewardedness is way more rare now. And even when it's happening, you get less. Like, I mean, there are, of course, like the Beyonce's and Taylor Swift's, like the mega 1%. I couldn't get So much goddamn that. money. But whatever, they're doing something on a level that nobody else mm-hmm. could ever even fathom. Yeah. But they're making a lot less, I'm sure, than they would have 20 years ago. That'd be, what would you do if Taylor Swift covered? <laughs> I would get on I my knees my and I would thank her. <laughs> I would give her my firstborn heir. Like, I actually met her when she was like 15 or 16. Did you really? Yeah, I did. Um, I, was, I interviewed her for a um, publication I was working on. She had laryngitis, so we couldn't do it on recording. But I was like, well, this kid is really going places. <laughs> you and called she, it. She was. She you was called really, it. She was very nice. And Goddamn like, profit over here. It was, you know, <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome, world. <laughs> and a few, several years later, I stood in front of her at, um, uh, not, it's not Bongo Java. What's the one on um, 21st? Uh, was that Sip? Not Sip. No, you're talking about uh, Barista Parlor. No, no, no. It's right across from the bell court. God damn it. Why am I Oh, Fido. It? Fido. That's yeah. right. She and Jake Gyllenhaal were standing right behind me in line, and I was like, eyes wide. Don't turn around. Don't turn around. And I didn't. I've told a story on here. I um, I actually got rude with uh, Garth Brooks and didn't know it. What? You <laughs> so I was, in the, uh, I was in the Publix in Gillettsville, and uh, I was with my kids, and it was already like a long day or whatever, and this guy's just in the middle of the aisle reading barbecue sauce and it, like <laughs> I can't get around him or anything I go, <coughs> and he turns it looks at me I'm like motherfucker it's Garth Brooks <laughs> Damn, Garth the best yeah. so yeah he, he lives away on there. a zip wire. Yeah, he lives around there apparently like he his house is over in Gillettsville but yeah I got I but uh, I kissed John Davis's ass in my Kroger but I got rude with Garth Brooks mm. in Publix priorities <laughs> I I Usually, will say something if I bump into somebody like who I admire, who's famous. Yeah. Or I, I tend to do that. Just, just like even just a nod or just some little thing. I try not to make a point of it. But when I first came back here, I was at the Kroger in Green Hills, and John Prine was there. And I that would be a cool. One. I yeah. followed him around for a few. <laughs> that would be a cool minutes, one. But I didn't stop him because I was just like, show some fucking respect. Do not, you know. And it was, I mean, it was, it was Were very you the exciting. Only one following him that day. Yeah. I th- well, at least in that part of the Kroger, I <laughs> yeah. it might have been somewhere else. But you know, like certain people deserve a little bit of uh, a little bit of uh, I remember, privacy. I took my kids to the circus, and uh, this was years ago. And Jack White was there with his kids. Mm. And he happened to walk past me while I'm like going to the bathroom or concessions or whatever. I don't know. And I'm like looking at him like, holy shit. And uh, he is Jack White. (laughs) He does not break character. I'm uh, amazed when people can do that. No, just be exactly who they are. I was backstage. Kid Rock is one. I remember, yeah, like, you don't have to work too hard. No, no when I was no. so I was bartending on Broadway, and me and uh, my boss Scuba Steve, we called him. We would go do uh, shift shot mm-hmm. over at Second Fiddle, and then come back. 
So we went over there, and Kid Rock was sitting at this table with Pamela Anderson. This is back when they were dating. <laughs> and looked at, I mean, he looked just like Kid Rock. <laughs> I mean, he was He's Kid, Kid Rock. Rock. He Kid was. Rock. <laughs> it seems like you would have to make an effort not to look like Kid Rock. You would really have to try. Defa- it, yeah. it looks like a default setting. It doesn't look like a team of yeah. stylists. She was the one that, like, when you saw her in person, you were like, ooh, she's not as pretty as I thought she would be. I don't know. I've never seen her in person, I don't think. But she she must, I bet she's tiny. That's it's a main lot main. of makeup. Just yeah. so makeup. much makeup. Yeah. I mean, that was really all it was. I was but. I was backstage in Amsterdam, backstage at an REM show. on their, It was like the first show of their last tour. That would be a good one. It was great. It was a great day because also that was the day I got to go and sing with them on stage because I got my, I was friends with a bunch of them and I got the... I got the Spinal Tap nod, like I was watching at the side of the stage <laughs> as they started. Tap, no. They started playing "Don't Go Back to Rockville," and I'm like, of course, tears coming to my eyes. My favorite song ever. I love you're a fan. Oh my god, like, yeah, I really am. I've seen them so many times, but uh, but I look over and Peter Buck and Scott McCoy, who are both like I have toured with them a lot in Robin Hitchcock's band. Um, they're both, he lives here, doesn't he? He sometimes does. He he okay. did, and then they but they, they sort of they live in England a lot of the time, yeah. and I think they're in Australia now. But um, they're coming back. But uh, they're both giving me the like sh- the head jerk, like come on. And so I like ran on stage and sang the harmony part to "Don't Go Back to Rockville." That's and it pretty was, cool. Like, one of the like the distance between who I was and where I was when I first heard that song and then getting to, cause he had invited me to come, Peter had invited me to come to that tour and hang out. And I, like, I was really aware of everything good that had ever happened in my life at that moment. I was so incredibly happy. I've never, maybe never been happier in a moment than I was at that moment. I was, I was just thinking, you had to be thinking to yourself, this was all worth it. Yeah, in a way I was. And it was three minutes, you know, it was not like, and it wasn't like I was in a spotlight of any kind. And in fact, yeah. afterwards I saw Michael Stipe backstage and I was like, hey man, sorry. They called me on stage and he was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I was like, I sang the, the, and he was like, I didn't even notice. And he turned yeah. and walked away. And I met him a bunch of times before he had any idea. I would want to meet Peter Buck before I met Michael Stipe. I mean, Peter's really, really good guy. Um, but uh, have you ever been to, uh, to Athens, Georgia? I've never been to Athens. Never been to Athens. Oh yeah, the music scene there was. It, I've it's, always heard it's incredible. I, you don't expect it, you know. Growing up in the SEC, you know, country, you know, it's all about football, yada yada yada. Then you go there, and then you walk into some of the music scene. You do not think that was that happens at the university. Oh, I've always heard that one in Chapel Hill uh, at UNC. It's like a ridiculous yeah. music scene as well. Well, they're still they still feel like what college towns used to feel like. Yeah, Nashville used to kind of feel like that too. When yeah. I first moved here in '88, it was. Small. I mean, you go to Athens though, and it's really like, especially compared to Atlanta, it's like like you you feel like you're in the Shire or something. You know, <laughs> it's like it's like going to a different time in a way because it's just so sort of gentle and kind of you know. Hey, one thing I wanted to ask you about that I'm so curious: what is the sphere like in person? Oh, the sphere in so, Las Vegas. Yeah, you went. You saw you two there, and I I, I'm like. What was that thing like in person? It's the greatest spectacle I've ever seen ever in my life. Not just in terms of rock shows or whatever, but like the the idea of doing... I don't 
tend to care for big kind of stadium shows. But or that thing's shows. different. It's completely different. It's on a it's on a scale that you can't like. It's, I struggle to even describe it. But it's also like it's. It was important that it was U two. I I stopped being into U two for a really long time, and then um, the woman I'm involved with now, <laughs> her favorite record of all time is Octung Baby, which was exactly when I checked out from the U two. Because <laughs> I, I would just, agree, I wasn't into it. Yeah. But then I've gone back through her love of it, and like I've missed. You know, that's that's thirty years ago. U two is one of those bands for me that when you see them in concert, you forget. Oh, they had this hit. Oh, I yeah. forgot about this song. I they had a lot of hits, hits. And so many hits, and really powerful songs. Some of them. yes, mm-hmm. and they are so committed to it, and they're so they're very good. I like. It doesn't matter if you even like them or not. And I do. I mean, I I loved them. They were also the first show I ever saw in nineteen eighty three. Mm-hmm. I saw them um, at a festival, but um, it the the scale and the sort of the visuals, the way they interacted with the music and illustrated it and punctuated it. Everybody w- was talking about how they thought, well, that's just going to overwhelm things. It didn't overwhelm it at all. It just magnified everything. Yeah. And we were like ten feet, fifteen feet away from the stage. Holy shit! I was about to say, I'm assuming you didn't have the obstructed view. I had the. There's no. There's no. Nothing uh, could be obstructed in there. That's. I think any seat is probably. No, there's, not there's a video there's, I'll yeah. show you. Oh yeah, really? There's, yeah. there's bad. Oh, bad. No. It's kind of like mid level. You're under an awning. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah okay, that makes sense. Of yeah. course, there's a shitty version. Yeah. I'm sure it's still really. And they expensive. paid five hundred dollars. It didn't tell them, and yeah. it was it was bad, bad, bad. Like you, you can only see half of the screen. Like you couldn't see the oh, whole man. thing. I'm wondering how long things gonna be open. They're already having a lot of troubles. But I any, I don't know how long that thing will last. But I do. I think still want to go. They'll make. I think there'll be one in every city in thirty years. If well, the they're trying to do revolves. what the the moon in uh, uh, Abu Dhabi. Oh right. That and um, they're doing that one, and they're doing um, one in London. They're trying to do one as well. But that that place, I did. I was like, man, he actually went and saw that thing. That had to be ridiculous to see. It was. I mean, when it, it was, first started, that's when you had to be like, what the fuck? I couldn't believe it. Because I was, I mean, I wasn't skeptical. I was on board. I spent so much It's just one thing to, to see in person, though. Yeah, that's the thing. I, re- I really wanted to see it. And then for my girlfriend, it was really like... The record, the band. I want to like see the, the spectacle. Yeah, it was, but it was like it was every bit of it worked perfectly, and it was incredibly emotional and just super powerful. Well, YouTube's always been kind of like bleeding edge when it comes to tour technology. Absolutely, anyway. mm-hmm. always. And I, I kind of even back then when I was like over it, I still was curious about um, the Zoo TV tour and all mm-hmm. of that stuff, and I never went. And the, I mean, I see video of it now, and it just looks like some guy with a bunch of TVs on his front but, lawn. Or but back <laughs> but then it was back then it was state of the art. Yeah. But 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 then if the you th- pop tour to me, I was like, what the fuck? If you think about the time between then and now, everything yeah. that has happened, it's kind of a great like punctuation mark at the end. Like they did actually usher that whole sensibility in, where like if you're at a stadium show, because I've been to stadium shows where yeah. or where it just seems like who's that little guy on oh that's Bruce Springsteen right okay yeah. or whatever it is you know like or you're watching it on basically a screen and and you you could just as easily have been watching it on your phone except at least you have the communion with all the different people who are there like I saw Paul McCartney at um I'd love to see a, him. Yankee Stadium yeah I think wherever one 
I can't remember where it was now. Anyway, it was a stadium. It was either the it was either old Shea Stadium or Yankee Stadium, and it was amazing because here's this guy who's really old, and he plays a 40 song set, and 35 of the songs are maybe the best song ever written. Yeah, it's, yeah. And like, and everybody there has lived with all of these songs yeah. for their entire lives, and you really feel that. And when he wants to take a break, he just like steps a foot forward and gets a five minute standing ovation. Everybody just like, thank you for everything you've ever done. It's very powerful. And so, so which song do you two do that really was the one that stood out the most? Where the Streets Have No Name, the first song from Joshua Tree, which was the my favorite album of theirs and yeah, still is. Like that I was really in like I waited in line for that record to come out in nineteen eighty six, whatever, yeah. when I was thirteen years old. Um the visual component of it was really amazing too because there had been you know like there's all kinds of crazy animation and stuff that I'm sure a lot of people have seen video clips of but the video that preceded it was the Las Vegas skyline exactly as it would be if the sphere wasn't there Yeah. and then um, line by line the entire skyline from the top down just disappeared like it was being deconstructed yeah. until there was just desert and it was nighttime and so then suddenly it's you're in this sort of sand dune and the sun comes up and it like that's the one that had the giant flag right? yeah and then the flag comes up but the flag starts out as being a flag made out of fire <laughs> like i mean it sounds ridiculous to say but you like to see it was just impossibly powerful it was so good I bet that was cool. So, did anybody even take breaks? Is there an intermission? Like, what? Did they take a break? I don't think they did. I can't remember. I mean, it was like two months ago. So, how could oh. I possibly remember? Um, I, I, my first, I was like, I wonder how many people were out there in, on mushrooms and just saying, "Let's." I just wish I had roll. been on mushrooms. <laughs> I did see. I saw REM on mushrooms with Sonic Youth opening. I saw Tool when I was a kid. Mushrooms. They had, well, so Tool had, uh, this was when um, Enema had just come out, and uh, they had uh, these two contortionists come out. Oh, my God. Oh, it was so weird to watch them. They were hanging from above the stage and just spinning and stuff like that. It was, I was like, I remember telling my buddy, I feel like I'm on a petting zoo on Mars. <laughs> and it was like the weirdest thing to see these contortionists just come out. It was, it was super weird. We were at the Gorge in Washington, this beautiful, mm-hmm. maybe the most beautiful concert venue. Better in than Red Rocks. America. Red Rocks. I've never been gorgeous. to Red Rocks. I've seen I've seen video of yeah. it, obviously, but the Gorge is pretty amazing because what I mean, Red Rocks. It seems like if you're on stage, you have the best view. Yeah. But at the Gorge, you're looking at the stage, and behind it is this ama- like beautiful mm-hmm. canyon and. So Red Rocks, you're looking at a desert. Like you see, like way more than I thought. And when the rocks are way fucking bigger than I thought they would be yeah. when I was there, and uh, it, it 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 is an amazing, absolutely amazing view. It's. I wish I would have went. I, I was so close to pulling the trigger on going to that South Park anniversary show <laughs> out there. Did you see that? They no, played I with didn't. Ween and. Oh, wow. um, uh, Les Claypool and stuff, and they mm-hmm. did all the South Park music. Oh my God, it was it was, it's awesome. If you see on YouTube, it looks really cool. That sounds very good. I yeah. like I like South Park. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> I can't believe I they're still doing it. It really is it pretty is incredible crazy. that yes, they've is. made it this tw- long. That's twenty five years too. 
Easily. I mean, but you can say that same thing about Simpsons. Yeah. Same but I mean, thing. Simpsons is like, I haven't checked in with it for at least 15 years. I don't the think. The good years. It jumped the shark a long time ago. Yeah. And I, I mean, South Park, I actually, during the pandemic, went back and watched it kind got of a better. lot of it. It was, it, I don't know, like it must have dipped at some point, but it got really good. again. It was just so rude. So fucking funny. When um, uh, Mr. Garrison started running for president and he was, <laughs> <laughs> and he was yeah. Trump, that's yeah. when. His running mate was Caitlyn Jenner. I know it's, I know it's, I know it's wrong, but it's right. Oh, well. a lot of their stuff is so bad, so bad, it's way over the top. Yeah, but I do like they had the the COVID special that was a good one, and then when they did the streaming wars, I really enjoyed that. Um, I I just I don't know they're, they're pretty good at commentary. Yeah, I mean they I don't agree with a fair percentage of what they say but their comic sensibility is so rude it's right i mean i just i have i'm a sucker for it i find it incredible they've actually been nominated for a tony a grammy an oscar and yeah. an emmy did you see the book of mormon i heard it was fantastic i've never it's seen it fucking great i mean it, it really is great I, I don't say, so I don't do musicals very often. I hate musicals, really, for the most part. Yeah, almost, mm, but that almost across good. the board. But it's so good. I mean, I don't like musical films either. But the South Park movie was maybe the best musical film ever. Like it's up there with Singing in the Rain to me. So, go watch it now. Oh, so I can keep talking to you forever. But um, one thing I did want to ask before we start. So, so is there a particular artist that? you feel that nobody would think that you would like that you're really like I really dig them god that's a good question I mean I don't know I don't know if anybody would spend any time wondering what I like but um, like any of your friends would be like man I, I would have never guessed he loved a baby so much <laughs> <laughs> that was out of left field yeah, that is, that's true I mean I gotta, you gotta give me a second to think about that I mean I definitely I mean I know that I've my 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 love of Black Sabbath has definitely surprised like a couple of my friends, but that's not really you know, not that's that, a it's band not that, that far afield. You know? That band to me is one that doesn't get enough credit for it's, how they've been fucking really forgotten. awesome they were. Yeah, they're killer. Oh, I love doom metal. I just like all that slow See, I, that's bluesy sound. I I appreciate it, but I like it. I like Sabbath. I don't care for a lot of that. Oh, I, I love I'm, electric I don't go wizard. In God damn, it's so good. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I don't think there's anything I like that would be massively surprising, other than Creed. <laughs> I would be surprised if I like Creed. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was telling them, uh, like we're in a group chat, and I was just making a joke. I was like, "Guys, Creed's coming to town," and I'm like, "I'm really tempted to go, like with a buzz to sing. Uh, Can you take me higher? Like I'll, I'll sing the shit out of it. Motherfucker sold out day one. Really." Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not I think that I surprised. Said that to the group, I, I was like, "Hey guys, this is already sold up." Well, you were how old were you when the when Creed blew up? That would have been like 1999, 2000, uh, somewhere around there. So you're yeah. late. You're late. Were you in I high school still? Eight. I graduated in '99. Okay. And were you into it at the time? Uh, well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Confess. <laughs> I still love. I think "My Own Prison" is a great song. I will sing the shit out of "My Own Prison." Here's what I actually believe: liking whatever you like is fine. You know, like there's nothing wrong. There's no like, there's no room for snobbery in that department anymore. That's all over. I've said it many times on this show. There was uh, an interview with Tom Petty that uh, it always struck me. Now it was when I was a kid, and he talked about. 
the amount of discrimination listening there is in music and he never understood it. He was like, how can you say you hate an entire genre? Right. You can't say that. Mm-hmm. Like you haven't listened. Like all it is is listening. Yeah, like, exactly. It's really not going to hurt you or make you worse or anything like that. And that, that always struck me. It's like, man, that, that that's really does make a lot of sense. Like what, what is it going to bother me? Say, I love this song, Call Me Maybe. I don't give a shit. It's a great song. It's a great song. But there are some songs <laughs> that you just can't listen to. Like, I can't get past five seconds. Like, all right. Yeah. Well, there's certain stuff where I'll yeah. start listening. I'm like, all right, I'm out. I'm out on this one. I, I can't yeah, do it. Yeah, but, but then, like, if you listen to two or three, it's like, there's no way I'm going to listen to every song in this genre to figure out which one I really like. Well, so that was today at the, the mm. Titans. They were playing uh, Country Girl Shake It For Me by uh, Luke Bryan. And I know that <laughs> song. Songs. It yeah. is so bad. It is so bad. It's so bad. And he had, I'm sure, a million writers on mm. that thing. And it was huge and a hit, but I can't get into that whatsoever. That I would never be with my buddies and be like, hey, man, turn that Luke Bryan up. <laughs> hey, you guys strap yourselves in. You got to check this shit out. <laughs> when, it, when it comes on, like you turn, it, you turn it to 11. Yep. But I mean, if it's true that liking what you like is good and important and whatever, it has to be true that not liking what you don't like is equally yeah, like, is fine. up to you. And what are you talking about that that year? Probably all that the nineties where there was just so much push to you to where like MTV, you know, pumped out a lot of stuff. The radio was pumping out stuff all the time. I miss top ten radio. But it was it was like like you couldn't help not liking something. Oh yeah. Even if you didn't like it, you knew the song. You knew sure. lyrics because you heard it all the time. We were uh I used to work at this uh insurance company that was this is the time they were going digital, digital. And so we had a group that all we did was scan documents in and uh, kind of made it a digital file. And so we would get there eight and leave at five and we were listening to the radio. And it got to the point to where we had a, like a, uh, a uh, chalkboard and was marking off songs that we heard. Like uh, this was 04. Yeah. Usher Burn oh, that's played a good one. seven songs. In that one day, <laughs> on the same station, right, seven times. You'll hear that a lot if you listen to the radio enough. You're going to hear it repeat a bunch. Seven times in one day, though. But if I you if you drive that. across the country, you will be struck by how every radio station it's plays exactly, exactly the, the same, same songs yeah. and in the same order a lot of the time because all one? those programming decisions are made Which by, by Nickelback. Yes. So this is one of the most fascinating facts to me in history is. Nickelback, this is how you remind me. Mm-hmm. That song has the record for the most plays and con- continuously in the U.S. for a week. It played every two and a half minutes for a week straight, and it's a four-minute song. Amazing! So it never stopped one time for seven days straight in the U.S. That is unfucking real to think. It is. That was a huge hit, though. It was a massive fucking hit. But don't you think it's weird now that, like, it's never been easier to have never heard the most popular songs Oh, absolutely. Like, I have no... I, I don't know how kids find music now. That is so weird to me well, how I kids imagine, find music. I think it's TikTok, apparently. Well, TikTok's TikTok big. So that, is but you don't want to hear the Man, whole song. Wait till Harvey Danger gets a, gets a trend. Me, I've been really figuring, <laughs> trying to figure out how to make so, that happen. Do you... Do you uh, did you ever uh, read or see an interview? There was a... I 
Kylie, it was like five or six years ago when TikTok started, you know, really, you know, taking off. Yeah. And there, you know, all these, all these damn dances they were doing on TikTok. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were getting popular. And they were, they were almost like uh, PR teams put on, put, uh, to promote this. Yeah. So if you wanted your song played, you know, they would match you up with one of the, you know, elite TikTokers who were doing dances. We get two million views a time. And so there was basically, they basically formed a company and said, hey, you want your song played? Hey, this this song is going to play a thousand times, you know, in a, in an hour. I remember uh, when Bad Bad Not Good took off on TikTok and I, I heard Rivers, my son, uh, playing playing them. I'm like, how do you know Bad Bad Not Good? And he said from TikTok, TikTok like, that is so He was like, weird. how do you know about them? Yeah, really? <laughs> I think they're awesome. I yeah. love them. Yeah. I just, it, it just blows my mind. Because what, you know, we were talking before about how the, the album is sort of the unit of measurement that yeah. I relate to and you relate to. Then it became like songs. And now it's like clips, set fragments of song, yeah. choruses or verses or whatever. We yeah. do not have attention spans. No. Well, I mean, I don't like it. It all just corresponds to whatever the technology allows. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think I, I, I told him uh, a handful of times that when I get in the car, like I pull up Spotify and put a playlist together. Like yeah. I, I can't tell you the last time I listened to music on the radio from any radio station local. I would Every once never in a while, guess I'd be like, listening to my phone. Absolutely. I mean, it's. I find that I, I'll make a playlist and then I'll be like. Oh wait, I, I'm just drawing from every other playlist. I've made. Like every playlist, there's <laughs> I, like a three percent yeah. variation yeah. at most. Yeah. So, so he, I make a point to that. I I do a different genre type playlist. Right. He talks about mine. Mine is chaos. I just do like songs. So I got over like three thousand like songs, <laughs> and I just hit random. That's your playlist, like you. And uh, it's <laughs> just what I listen to. So whatever it's telling me. Well, yeah. Sean, we've appreciated having you. It's been a real pleasure to be here. I really, it's really fun. Uh, we're gonna get off air. I do want to try that bourbon. Oh, yeah. um, you have nothing to promote. <laughs> Not really. I mean, I guess I don't know when is this gonna be up and live. It'll be coming up soon. soon. Yeah. I mean, I guess people could go and listen to the Harvey Danger Christmas song if they want. It doesn't really, it's not going to do me any good per se, but I like it. I think it's All good. Right, we got to put that on the playlist. It is on we're doing We're doing a, uh, a Christmas Oh, yeah, uh, we're doing DJ a Christmas set. show on Friday. Oh, cool. At Vinyl Town. No, Saturday, Saturday. I'll be gone. I'm not going out of town for a week. Oh, okay. Good for you. But I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You will, you will be in spirit. Yeah, yeah. I, I just... Let me, you can cut it out, but I just want to finish the story that I was telling after you said the Jack White thing, just because if I were listening and that story didn't finish, probably I wouldn't care, but I would notice. Go ahead. So you were talking about how Jack White looks like Jack White, which I'm sure is true. I've never seen him out in the wild. I've seen him on stage plenty of times, but um, backstage at the REM show, uh, Radiohead showed up. Holy shit. And I, I was backstage and I turned and saw, and they were... It was like they had been beamed down from the like from the spaceship that they arrived on, standing in perfect formation with Tom York at the front. They looked like they had just been perfectly How short styled. Is he? He's not much taller than this microphone I'm holding. <laughs> but it's very striking. And they all looked like they had just been like styled to like in a to photo a shoot. Like perfect. They looked so cool. They looked really good. That's I all. love Radiohead. I Radiohead's love one of those few bands to me. To, uh, so I think most bands, after about the third album, just 
kind of just were just making out. And they were just point. getting warmed up on They really thing. were. In Rainbows, to me, is actually maybe their best. I mean, is that I, the free one? In Rainbows, you can name how much you wanted to pay for it. The free one. Which, which we, that's what's <laughs> the free one. Yeah. That's what we I think with our third album. They found out the, the average price was $5. That was the average price. We so. did, you know, we did that same thing. Did you really? A couple of years before they did it. But they didn't know about it. But um, okay. I asked them at that show. They were, had never heard of Harvey Danger. <laughs> hey, by the way, guys. <laughs> Fellas, hey, guys. You did guys, that first. Radiohead, Radiohead, over here. You think Creep was big. <laughs> Stealing our ideas. But I, I have to say, I'm a, I'm a like Ben's through uh, Kid A. Ben's, Ben's is such a good album that does. I don't think it gets enough you credit. Can't believe it's the same band. It has, but the amount of bands that sounded just like that album after that album. And same with OK Computer. Same thing happened. Oh, there was a whole like they just mushroomed with bands. It was trying to unreal. Do that. It, yep. Unreal. But I love the bands. Absolutely love the bands. Love OK uh, Computer. Kid A was tremendous. Amnesiac, all that stuff was great, it and was I've all seen good. them many times since. I've never like I've never loved one of the subsequent albums as much as I love those four. But that's in Rainbows, I, love those I like four I like In Rainbows a lot. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, but that would probably be the last Radiohead album where I was like just head over heels with the album as a whole. I, Moonshank Pool, I try to. I, I I was okay with it, but I just didn't get into it. Well, like the, the but others. the single from the Burn the Witch, that's a amazing. Great song. That's a great song. <laughs> and True Love Waits, whatever. True Love fine. Waits is my favorite song on that album. Yeah. Um. But in King of Limbs, I couldn't name anything. Got no clue. Yeah. I I know I listened to it a couple times. Gave it a, a shot. But I saw the tour for Moonshape Pool, and it was guess what? Amazing. I've never seen him in concert. Oh my god. I'd like to see him. All right. Well, we're gonna hang out some more, and uh, <laughs> y'all have a great week. Take care.